1: What we're really doing is getting you ready for the 2021 Seahawks season. Now that we know who some of those new additions are following the 2021 draft, Jen Mueller alongside John Boyle. We are the Seahawks insiders and John, we only have three picks to talk about, but it feels like these could be significant pieces for the Seahawks.
0: Yeah. I mean, you look at all three of these guys and they look like they come in and are players who fit needs this team has and fit kind of the style of player, the Seahawks like obviously with the sixth round picks Stone Forsyth, maybe he's not a guy that you're expecting to start for you right away, but definitely projects as someone who can help you down the road. And then the other two guys are going to be competing for playing time right off the bat. It sounds like.
1: So we're going to go through these draft picks one by one, but here's what I want everybody to get. And John, honestly, this is something that I recognize for the first time I've watched the draft for, I don't know how many years, at least 17, this is the first year it dawned on me that the NFL draft is an exercise in talking just to hear yourself talk. I don't know why.
0: Especially when you go seven rounds of it. I mean, there's, I'm impressed with the people who broadcast all three days of the draft. Like you gotta have a lot of material to go through. You've got to at least be able to pretend you know about hundreds of players. It's impressive.
1: It is, and this is where I'm going with our conversation today. Perhaps it's because the Seahawks only had three draft picks, right? And perhaps it is because there are a lot of so-called experts and pundits that are criticizing the Seahawks for their picks. But here's the thing that none of the experts truly understand is how a player fits into a team, right? Acquiring talent is awesome and it's great. And there's a lot of super talented players out there and you can argue about where you're gonna take them in the draft, but ultimately it comes down to how they fit into the scheme. And that's what I wanna dive into today because I think we had some questions answered about Shane Waldron's offense without actually seeing these guys on the field. So I thought our goal today, John, and you can tell me no, Although the consequences would be severe.
0: I'm out. You can tell me Podcast now. over.
1: <laughs> but what I'd like to do is take a look at specifically how these guys fit in and what we learned about how the Seahawks will look when they take the field later this year. I think you and I feel pretty good about where the Seahawks are as a team. We aren't the only ones. Of course, it helps when you hear Pete Carroll say this.
2: Really, I, I thought this offseason was really successful at situating the roster where we felt good going into the draft. Part of the draft, and, and John was you know, helping me get, be prepared mentally for this all along without the, the normal volume of picks, that we needed to make our moves and make our decisions early to make sure that the roster was situated well. We made it. We made it through that offseason. and came to the point where we felt like we had guys at every spot. We didn't have any holes going in. We didn't have any glaring needs. We had – Concerns and issues for depth and in, in, in competition and all that. So um, you know, we really we have firepower. We've got big plays. We got pass rush now. We've got uh, the leadership. Um, we we just ha- and we have depth and we have competitive depth, which always helps you bring out the best in guys. So we're sit- situated very well right now.
0: And to me, that's a point, a really important point p Carroll makes about setting up the draft so you didn't feel like you had all these needs. Because if you look at, you know, when free agency started, knowing the limited draft resources CX had, you, you, there are a few positions are like, they could be in real trouble if guys leave and they don't sign certain guys. And, you know, you look at cornerback, they could have the potential to lose both starters. And in fact, they did. You look, you know, there's Chris Carson was a free agent. You look, they had a couple starters on their offensive line where if they didn't add the right guys or re-sign the right guys, they could have been coming to this draft looking like they had a ton of needs. And and to Pete's point, they filled a lot of them before the draft. They still drafted, you know, I'm not saying they drafted just for need, but they drafted guys that tend to fit needs either short or long-term as well. But they came in feeling pretty good about the state of the roster before these three picks.
1: I also think it's interesting he talked about being mentally prepared for that, because the one thing (laughs) we did not actually ask Pete or John after the draft is how they handled it mentally. I mean, there was a lot of downtime for them. We know that John likes to acquire more picks. I would imagine that that took a lot of of coaxing and conversation and just, you know, like, no, we got this plan. We're going to stick with the plan.
0: Yeah. I have got to think it was just killing John in particular. I mean, he loves to, to make his deals and make some picks. Who knows? Maybe he was just constantly on the phone proposing picks, even if they weren't really going to make or trades, just if they weren't going to make them just to keep himself occupied. But, and, and as they joked, you know, they, they spent around ones and three focusing on Jamal Adams. And then on day three, they could watch some Carlos Dunlap and, Gabe Jackson highlights and be happy about the guys they already acquired with those picks. But yeah, I'm sure for those guys in the draft room and their cardboard cutout alter egos, it was a a weird draft
1: well and there's no reason to be ex- not to be excited about who they drafted. Let's start with their second round pick. It was the first time the Seahawks had a chance to make their selection with the 56th overall pick wide receiver Dwayne Eskridge out of Western Michigan. When you take a look at the numbers 59190, you would assume that he profiles as a slot guy. But yet when you hear him talk and you understand his background, he thinks he fits into this wide receiver group as that number three guy in general yeah so I know about Russell Wilson um Tyler Lockett and then DK you know so I just come in and bring some more explosiveness to it you know those are all dogs that I mentioned you know I'm also a dog so I feel like I'll be able to fit fit in pretty good you know and just take it to another level do what I'm paid to do now
0: Yeah, and we don't know where they're going to line him up yet, in part because we don't know what this offense will look like. But, they, you know, in the past with Seahawks receivers, they've tried to kind of have guys who can play multiple spots. Most notably, we've seen Lockett spend a lot of time in and out of the slot. So I think realistically, we could see Eskridge line up kind of all over. But wherever he is, I think the biggest point is the one Pete Carroll made after they drafted him is, You know, talking with Shane Waldron, they want that third weapon in the passing game that can really keep teams from just focusing on kind of what we saw late last season when it was, if you take Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf out of the passing game, it's a lot easier to slow Seattle down. Well, now if you have an Eskridge, if you have a Gerald Everett, adding to what they already have, that can make this passing game that much more dangerous.
1: Not that our audience does not believe you and that that's what Pete Carroll said, but let's listen to Pete because I do think there's a couple of layers here as he describes why it is important to have that third
2: option. Shane has talked since we first started talking about, you know, schematically how we're going about it philosophically, how we're going about the offense, about having three legitimate threats, you know, in in passing situations. So a defense can't can't lock you down. And it was one of the reasons that Gerald was such a big get for us, was such a great acquisition for us in the off season uh, to, to help us. But we always want to have it, three guys out there that they've got to work with and contend with so they just can't double guys up and take them out of the offense. So. Um, I I will find out, you know, how well Dwayne fits in, in that regard, but we're counting on him being a factor and we're, you know, and as we are other guys too, this is going to be a great, like, as I said, a couple of days ago, it's going to be a wide open competition in this camp for guys to show where they fit.
1: So when you hear that, it sounds to me like he's your number three right out of the gate. I know that there's guys with more experience on the roster, but that they're leaning towards having the newcomer fill that role.
0: I think it's fair to interpret it that way. I mean, there's always going to be competition, clearly, but you don't usually take a second-round pick on a guy, it, especially with a position where you kind of have the need and not expect him to play and contribute right away. Look, if you had a starting quarterback and loved a guy in the second-round draft him, you're not going to make that assumption there. But when you're talking about number three receiver appeared to be a need on this team, Freddie Swain did some really good things and he's going to get his chance to compete. And I think he'll be on the field one way or another, but yeah, I don't, again, I don't think you go out and use the 56th overall pick your first pick on this guy. If you don't expect Eskridge to be a big part of your offense right away.
1: Well, and if your objective is to not have defenses lock you down, I mean, my gosh, if you have Eskridge, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf on the field, and I realize if you spread them out wide, you can cover a lot of ground, but imagine them in a bunch set and trying to figure out which route these guys are going to run and where they're going to be on the field. That is a lot of speed. There is no way that teams can consistently cover that during the course of a game.
0: Exactly. And again, this goes back to the whole conversation about three guys. You, you don't want just as good as that duo is. It's a lot easier for defense to say, okay, we got two guys who we really need to contend with when it suddenly becomes a third guy with that kind of speed. It's just a whole nother factor that it's really impossible to match up with.
1: Well, and he's got toughness too, right? So 5'9", you'd think smaller size, but he's 190 and he played both ways in college. Cornerback and wide receiver, we've seen Richard Sherman make that switch the other way, going from wide receiver to cornerback. I was super impressed listening to him and how tough he was and how much he wanted to make his mark in all phases of the game because he volunteered to play special teams.
0: Yeah. And it's not just a, uh, you know, speed guy. He returns kicks. He, he liked playing gunner on the punt team. I mean, he's the guy who will mix it up and Pete Carroll even talked about that in the valuation of obviously they evaluated him and drafted him to play receiver, but seeing him play as physical as he did on defense and special teams shows them some things that they think will translate on offense of just the toughness you need to play in the NFL, the blocking needed for the run game. So yeah, he's, you know, he's obviously undersized, but he's not going to play small.
1: And he does not lack for confidence, as I thought this might have been the best part of his post-draft press conference with the media. He he like a semi, you know, he he, he moving a whole lot of velocity, you know, so I, I'm definitely going to win that race. I'm not going to say he's going to beat me in the race, but, you know, we we going to take it there
0: wherever it goes. <laughs> And that was Eskridge talking about DK Metcalf who while built very differently runs a similar speed. And if you want to see how fast he looks on a track, you can tune in on NBC. I believe it is this weekend. He's going to be competing against some pretty legit sprinters in a track and field meet on Sunday, which will be kind of fun to see how that goes.
1: It will be. And I have not yet seen DK respond to the Rook. Um, I I would imagine that he's busy training, for his Olympic trials. However, I cannot wait to see that play out. I hope that's a competition Wednesday thing where the media can actually watch the sprint go down.
0: Just saying. Let's do it. End of practice, line them up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I am definitely cheering during that one. Like you're not gonna be able to keep me quiet on the sidelines. Um, And I am probably going to be cheering the first time Trey Brown makes a hit in the Seahawks secondary. That was the Hawks second pick came in the fourth round 137th overall. It was also a result of a trade the Seahawks made as they traded down in order to get Tampa Bay's pick. And I think people expected Seattle to address the secondary and cornerback I'm not sure where Trey Brown came up in the conversation because he does not profile as a corner that would traditionally fit in Pete's system. What do we learn about Pete's changing parameters?
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously we know Pete loves his long corners, long arms, tall guys, but they also are willing to make exceptions at times. And I think DJ Reed was the really clear example of that was he did not fit the mold at all last year, but kind of injuries force them a little bit into putting him as an outside corner and he thrived out there. And now you got to consider him a strong candidate, if not a favorite for one of the starting jobs on the outside. And that showed them, look, you know, John Shire made the comparison. kind of like Russell Wilson, different position, obviously, but sometimes guys can overcome. They have enough compensating factors to overcome whatever that supposed flaw is. And look, he is tough. He's scrappy. He's got great ball skills and he does enough things well that they think, yeah, he's not the ideal size, but he could still play outside.
1: Well, and there are other corners that are 5'9 in the league that are crushing it. And he's got a pretty good pedigree. Coming from Oklahoma, he faced no shortage of talent, as he discussed with the media after he was drafted. And it helped me a lot, built my confidence up. I feel like, <clears throat> if we're being honest, I feel like I'm the corner that's played every, every top, top uh receiver that there is that was taken in the draft you know you got all the guys from Alabama, LSU, Tyler Wallace, Jalen Rager, Denzel Mims, you name it you know and also practicing with guys like Marquise Brown and CeeDee Lamb uh I was I was prepared well prepared for it you know just being in that league where it's a past savvy league and stuff like that and uh man I just built confidence in me and I can I can handle anything and anybody so I feel like I'm I'm very I'm very ready for the challenge.
0: I love, I can handle anything and anybody. I, they, I, I think it was, I can't remember if it was Peter John, but talked about kind of the cockiness, not in a bad way, but you need kind of that swagger in that edge especially that particular position you've got to have a really strong belief in yourself and he he has that that's yeah he's he's a very exciting player when you put on the tape and it's that cornerback competition is going to be really fun to watch play out you know as i mentioned earlier they did lose both uh Shaquille griffin and quentin dunbar so you've got starting jobs to battle for but it's you know with the guys they've added for agency and now trey brown it's going to be a pretty deep and interesting field competing for those jobs
1: Well, and he's got every reason to be confident and to fit right into that competition because he allowed the lowest passer rating in single coverage of anybody in that 2021 draft class. And that's playing on an Oklahoma team that let's be honest, does not play defense first, right? I
0: mean, it's the whole conference though. It's some of that you got to give credit to the offenses. It's like, as we talked about earlier, the guys he goes against and the schemes he goes against playing defensive back in that conference has got to just be mentally grinding of just knowing that teams are coming after you all the time. And yeah, you just mentioned that stat. He, he had a great college career.
1: Yeah. Do you think we see the Seahawks trend more towards the smaller profile guys? Cause this has been a trend, right? That they had corrected. I'm, I'm going to say corrected. That might not be right. It's just the preference, right? 10 years ago, before Pete came in 11, 12 years ago, All the cornerbacks were smaller. Then they went larger. Do you think this is regressing toward a mean, or do you think this is a one-off because of his talent and his physicality?
0: You know, I don't know for sure. We'll have to wait and see how it plays out. I think there's... Couple things a factor in some of it is what the Seahawks did. I mean, like you mentioned, teams used to play small guys and you used to be able to get a Richard Sherman in the fifth round. Richard Sherman, that same player, is not going in the fifth round five years later, let alone ten years later, because the league has adjusted that way. So it's harder to find those guys now. They're more coveted. And Also, guys like Richard Sherman are the exception, not the norm, that they can move well enough at that size. There are a lot more 5'10 guys who have the quick hips and feet to play cornerbacks. So, yeah, I I also think we're seeing more and more of the smaller – I mean, the Eskridge-type receivers thriving in the NFL, so maybe there's an adjustment there of – you know, Tyreek Hill being the most obvious one, but these small, super fast guys, there may be a little easier to cover with a Trey Brown size cornerback. So it could be a little bit of adjusting that way. So look, I don't think we're going to see over the next five years, every tall cornerback gone in the league and the Seahawks are playing all five nine, five ten guys, but we have seen them become more open to it for sure.
1: Yeah. Well, and probably because they're victims of their own success, right? Yeah, exactly. Like you said, you, you can't find those guys anymore. The guy that they did find to bolster that offensive line, I think has the best name for an offensive lineman Stone. is
0: perfect. I mean, yeah. it's not what, a hey, nickname. What's your, what's your job? Well, go stone the tackle, trying to get by me, or the <laughs> defensive end trying to get by me. It's perfect. And yeah, I, I thought for sure it was gonna be a nickname. And then he got asked, so I was like, no, you know, just my name.
1: <laughs> I, I love that his parents had a sense of humor about it too. And said, well, if football doesn't work out for you. Go try WWE, you know, like go be the rock.
0: And sure enough, he was The Rock for Halloween. It looks like a couple of years ago, he posted that social media photo and pretty, pretty good version of it. And look, The was Rock it... was a college football player, too. So maybe that's it's
1: true. Was Stone sights Halloween costume worn better than our own NASA Ooh. Ooh.
0: That's a tough one. Right?
1: Very realistic in life.
0: NASA pulled it off very well, although you do have to give Stone the slight advantage on just size.
1: NASA, that sounds like a little bit of a diss.
0: I mean, this is coming from the the small 5'9", you know, new wave Seahawks cornerback size guy talking here. So I'm not dissing anybody's <laughs> size. I did what I could. I know better than uh, minus all the speed and athleticism. I just have the height. You can thank my wife for that. She's a big Halloween person. She came up with the idea. She's the one who got the whole getup. So, like, she gets all the credit. I don't quite look like Stone or The Rock, but close enough.
1: Okay, back to the conversation about Stone. Here's what uh, here's what we should probably do is figure out where he could fit into things. And, again, I think that his selection tells us a little bit more about that Shane Waldron offense, as Pete Carroll e- explains, the potential Forsyth has.
2: Stone was a guy that really – because of his uniqueness. He's really a unique player. I mean, how many times have I said that to you guys? About you know, we're always looking for traits, and and uh, he really brings a great level of potential in, in his what he brings. He's played a lot of football. He's had over a thousand pass rushes against him in the SEC. Uh, his numbers are really good. His, his stats are really good from in pass protection. Um, he can come off the football. and know, he runs pretty well. He runs he runs well for a big guy. Um, so he moves he moves all right. We just got to get him where he's coming off the football the way we want to. That means. He's got front side blocks where he's got to reach really, you know, flashy athletes. And then he also got to cut off big de- defensive tackles when the ball is going away. So he's shown the ability to do that. So we're not worried about his foot quickness in that regards.
0: Yeah. And Pete Carroll mentioned this. This is a guy who is very much been a pass blocker in college and, much like we talked about Trey Brown having to go against these offenses in these passing games, if you're pass blocking against SEC defenses and pass rushers, you're seeing some of the best. And he held up really well. That number Pete Carroll referenced, according to Pro Football Focus, he faced, I think it was 513 pass rush snaps and gave up two sacks in eight hurries. So, That is incredibly good pass blocking ability. He, by his own admission, he didn't run block very often and needs to work on that. But this shows you that, you know, this is why this guy was a very polarizing guy in the draft. He was, you know, guys had him as a second, third round draft pick. And some people had him further back because he's, you know, maybe not a complete NFL lineman yet, but he's got upside in the most important part of playing tackle.
1: Well, and he has size, right? When I asked him what he's most proud of in his game, he said, my size. You can't teach size. I'll figure everything else out. And look, if you've got those arms, extremely important, right, to have long arms as an offensive tackle so that you're not getting locked up on that one. But I think he's got enough talent there. He protected Kyle Trask. He allowed two sacks and 488 dropbacks at Florida. And that Gator offense was putting up 387 yards a game. Most of that through the air. So there's a track record back to your point there.
0: Yeah. Andy gets to come in and learn from Dwayne Brown, one of the very best in the business. And, you know, I think, again, we look at this pick and we probably assume this isn't a guy, you know, barring injury that you see starting for the Seahawks this year, but when both your starting tackles are only under contract through 2021, you know, we, that doesn't mean they're gone after this year, but we don't know what's going to happen yet with Brown and Brandon Shell and Cedric Abui. They're all kind of the end of deal. So this could be a guy you're looking at, you know, as a future starter for you, hopefully.
1: Yeah, and I would say this, let's not put pressure on him to be the future left tackle, right? Like, no. let's just let him do his thing. And I know that there's a lot of people out there that think the Seahawks should have taken more offensive linemen or done more on the offensive line. And here's what I'm going to say. There's a lot of names out there that we have never called in a game, right? There actually is depth on the offensive line. There are guys there who are getting reps in practice and on the practice squad. It's why they felt this is the guy that they needed and that they wanted and that they didn't need to do anything more at that position group.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think the narrative around the Seahawks offensive line got a little thrown off this off season. I mean, yeah, there are, you know, there are injuries down the stretch, but if you go back the first half of the season when they were mostly healthy and, you know, the sack numbers were still a little bit high, but you look at some of those, you know, ESPN advanced metrics, they were a good pass protecting unit. And Brandon Schell is playing well. Dwayne Brown is a really, really elite left tackle. So, you know, Damian Lewis is only getting better in year two. If Posick wins that starting job, you know, it sounds like he'll compete with Kyle Fuller, but it will only be his second year starting there. So I, I think, you know, there's room for improvement, even if they didn't add a ton of new guys.
1: Well, and I know that we need to wrap up here, but remember, we are comparing and we're evaluating that offensive line based on an old offensive scheme, Right, And yeah. it sounds like from what we learned from Pete and John prior to the draft, that Shane Waldron system, what we know from him being with the Rams is the ball's going to come out quicker. You are going to use more kind of screenplays. You're not just going to line up and run the ball, nor are you going to drop back and try to get it to DK 40 yards down the field. There's a mix of, of all of those things. And I think if you think about it in context of what the new system could look like, it changes how you evaluate the effectiveness of any of those players.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, when I remember when Waldron was hired, looking this up again, this won't be a carbon copy of the Rams offense, but they're going to take elements of it. And They, over the last few years have been one of the best pass protecting teams year after year after year. And that's not just the guys up front. They do have some good linemen there, but a lot of that is the scheme, the way they move the quarterback around to get the ball out quickly. So you bring some more elements of that to the Seahawks offense and, you know, still sprinkle in the shots you want to take. I, I think we could hopefully see those sack numbers go way down
1: a little fly sweep with Dwayne Eskridge. Yes. I'm already thinking about it. I am already thinking about seeing the guys on the field in July for training camp. I hope that we're going to talk to you guys before then. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Seahawks Insiders Podcast for Jen and John. I'm Jen. He's John. We'll see you next time.